You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host. I'm also CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a very supportive writing community. Regular listeners will know, I usually have my partner in crime with me, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, but I am flying solo today because Alison is busy doing authory things and promoting her latest wonderful book, The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. We hope you've been enjoying these story sessions where we read or the author reads the first chapter of a book that we'd recommend. This is so that you can sample the book while you're going about your daily life or driving or walking the dog or going for a run. If you're not really comfortable standing in the bookshop reading the first chapter of a book to decide whether you want to buy it or not, we've brought the bookshop to you. Now, this week, I've chosen The Good Teacher by Petronella McGovern. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you may have heard our interview with Petronella in episode 295 when she released her debut novel, Six Minutes, to great acclaim. In fact, Leanne Moriarty said, impossible to put down and full of twists and turns you won't see coming. I loved this fabulous debut novel. We particularly love Petronella because she is alumna of the Australian Writers' Centre and she completed our Write Your Novel program, among other courses. So we're popping the champagne and celebrating her success with her, especially since her first novel became a bestseller. The Good Teacher is her second novel and Petronella has definitely established herself as a major voice in crime and thriller writing with her take on suburban suspense. Now, here is the blurb from the book so you get an idea of what it's about. Alison's personal life is in disarray. Not only has her husband abandoned her, but she has resorted to watching his new house every night. Everyone says she's a good teacher, yet this stalking displays a new side to Alison, one that highlights a tiny crack in her usual self-control. A late enrolment in her kindergarten class brings sick little Gracie, and Alison smothers the girl with the love she's unable to give her own son. As Alison's personal life becomes more complicated, she uses Gracie as an outlet for compassion and control. When Gracie is given an opportunity to go to America for treatment, Alison galvanizes her small Sydney beachside community into action to raise over $100,000. But others begin to question Alison's judgment and wonder if she has crossed a line. How far will the good teacher go to save a life? And whose life will that be? So now let's hear chapter one from The Good Teacher, narrated by none other than the author herself, Petronella McGovern. The Good Teacher, chapter one, Alison. Alison greeted every child by name as they came into the classroom. Day three of the school year and the terrified faces were beginning to relax slightly. Do you want to do a puzzle or play with the blocks? Alison asked each one. While the children settled into their chosen activity, Alison smoothed out the name tag on the empty desk. Gracie, a late enrolment. During the staff meeting on Monday, Alison had been hoping the girl would be placed in the other kindergarten class. I've put Gracie with you, Alison, the principal had said, because you're the most experienced. She's going through a tough time. So am I. Alison had clenched her teeth to stop the words coming out. For God's sake, how could she compare herself with this poor little girl? I'll do my best, she said. The principal didn't know yet. He'd find out soon enough about Alison, along with the rest of the staff and the parents. 
We need to ensure the school is accepting and welcoming, Declan said. Yes, of course, Alison tried to smile. After all, that's what we're known for. At the end of last year, Wirriga Public School had won an award for its Christmas project, 12 Days of Giving. 12 activities to support communities in need, including a food drive for farmers in drought and a clothing collection for bushfire victims. The children and their parents had felt they were making a small difference as the TV news streamed never-ending images of Australia's scorched landscape. Back then, Alison hadn't known that her own life would be in ashes by New Year's Day. Ah, here they are, Alison announced to the class. This is Gracie and her dad. Welcome to the Wirriga Wombats. A desk over here has your name on it, Gracie. Alison wondered how the children would react to Gracie's purple bandana. Earlier, she'd given them a brief explanation and encouraged kindness and respect. Would they ask to see Gracie's bear scalp? The girl's face and arms were pale, unlike the other sun-kissed bodies which had spent the long summer holidays playing on the beach. Everyone, let's give Gracie a big welcome. Hello, Gracie! A sing-song greeting from the whole class. Gracie has come all the way from Victoria. The biggest city is Melbourne. Has anyone been there? Ask the person next to you while I have a quick chat to Gracie's dad. The father was standing near Gracie's desk, a purple backpack dangling from his wrist. We hang the bags on these hooks just outside the door, she said, leading him to the corridor. I'm really sorry Gracie couldn't come on the first day, he said. This whole move and the new hospital, it's been crazy. Luke Branson had already apologised yesterday when she'd met him at lunchtime. He'd handed over a letter from the children's hospital about Gracie's compromised immune system explained that they'd moved to Sydney for a doctor who was researching this rare cancer and to get away from the memories. His voice had cracked when he'd said that. We'll take good care of Gracie, she promised. Thank you, Mrs Walsh. His voice was deeper than she expected from someone in his late twenties. His hair closely sh cropped, shaved in solidarity with his daughter, Alison guessed. It made his eyes seem even bigger, sad eyes full of pain. The little girl appeared beside them in the corridor, wrapping herself around her father's legs. Don't go, Daddy! Alison noted that Gracie's socks were black instead of white, and her dress a size too big. She'd take her to the uniform shop at recess and sort her out. Gracie, do you want to do a puzzle with Daddy? As Alison led them to the puzzles corner, she breathed in deeply. Come on, you can do this! Over two decades at different schools, she'd never taught a child undergoing treatment for cancer. Why, oh why, did it have to be this year? Forcing a smile, she turned to the girl and her father. Look at this puzzle of a golden lion, Gracie. Do you think you can put the pieces back together? Yes, I can do it. Gracie sat cross-legged with the puzzle pieces out in front of her. Her father smiled his thanks and squatted down in one smooth motion a gym type in his black Adidas shorts and T-shirt. Alison predicted it would take half an hour before he was able to leave. She brought Gracie's table buddy, Evelyn, over to join them. That should ease the separation. I have a book with a line in it too. Alison showed Aesop's fables to the whole class. We'll sit on the mat and read it together. While Alison told the story of the brave lion and the timid mouse, she watched Gracie finish the puzzle and edge towards the mat. 
The girl was still holding onto her father's hand. He took her hand, kissed it and placed it in her lap. Then he adjusted the purple bandana and whispered in her ear. For the next few minutes he stood by the door. When Gracie swivelled around to check on him, the father waved, then stepped out into the corridor. Would she rush after him? So the moral of this story is that even a teeny weeny mouse can help save a great big lion. Alison raised her voice to catch Gracie's attention. Aesop says that no one is too little to do good. Every act of kindness, even a small one, can really matter. Now, who can make a squeaky noise like a little mouse? Squeak, squeak, squeak! The class giggled between their squeaking. And what about a big roar? The boys and girls opened their mouths wide to roar as loud as they could. When they'd finished, one noise continued. The sound of sobbing. Alison put the book aside and squatted next to Gracie. She patted the girl's back and explained how everyone in the class had started new this week. Alison doubted that Gracie could hear over the crying. Evelyn, can you please pass Winnie the Wombat for Gracie to cuddle? As Alison tucked the class mascot into Gracie's lap, a head appeared around the classroom door. Am I being as quiet as a teeny weeny mouse? asked Gracie's dad. The children burst out laughing. Gracie's laugh was the loudest. Despite the brave smile, Alison could see the man's heart was breaking. It wasn't often that the father was the one trying to leave a child at kindy. He sat back down on the floor next to Gracie, put his arm around her and stroked Winnie the Wombat. If Luke Branson had to stay until recess, so be it. This little girl needed extra special care. For the next two hours, Alison didn't think about her own problems once. At recess, Alison fitted Gracie with the right size uniform and popped three pairs of white socks into her bag. Her father had left just after ten o'clock and the girl seemed settled. At lunch, when the other kids ran into the playground, Alison led Gracie and Evelyn into the library. With her son's sensitivity from chemotherapy, Gracie had to avoid playing outside at midday. Girls, this is Mrs McCormack, our wonderful librarian. Okay, my lovely lasses, Shona purred in her Scottish burr. I've put out some colouring in sheets for you at those corner tables and then I'll read you a story. As the girls chose their pencils, Alison shared a chocolate slice with Shona. The teachers covered their mouths with their hands to hide the fact that they were eating in the library. Your hair looks great, Alison. You figured out how to style it then. Two weeks ago, Alison had marched into the hairdresser and asked for a makeover. She still didn't recognise the woman in the mirror with the short, choppy bob. Thanks. None of my clothes seem to go with the caramel colour, though. Obviously, you need a whole new wardrobe, Shona laughed. If Alison could afford it, she would. This morning, she wanted to wear her favourite red top with the black spots. My watermelon shirt, she always joked with the class. But today it hadn't worked. Between the new hair, the comfort eating and the perimenopause, none of her clothes sat right. She shouldn't have got the stupid haircut. It was like a neon sign flashing over her head. The only person she told was Shona, but this morning a Year 5 teacher had given Alison a sideways glance. A Year 3 teacher had frowned and said meaningfully, How are you? And at drop-off, a group of parents Alison knew from last year had all stopped speaking the instant she'd approached. Alison mentioned the reactions to Shona. Stop being paranoid, Shona said. And if they know, well, 
the younger woman shrugged. It doesn't matter. Shona had only been in Wirriga for 18 months, and the students loved her over-the-top enthusiasm and quirky expressions. She'd followed her girlfriend back to Australia and didn't seem to care what other people thought. But Shona hadn't grown up in this suburb, with family and friends literally around the corner. Wirriga still had that same village feeling as when Alison had ridden her bike to this very primary school 40 years ago. When the suburb had been developed back in the 1960s, it was seen as an undesirable swamp full of mosquitoes, sandwiched between glamorous white beaches and a bushy plateau. Land had been cheap, and the houses built big, two storeys, often with a pool. To Alison, Wirriga was the best-kept secret of Sydney's northern beaches an enclave of friendly locals, cul-de-sacs where kids could play in the street, no thoroughfares to other suburbs, no tourists, they all stayed in Manly on the opposite side of the multi-lane freeway. A short commute to the centre of Sydney, but a world away from the city's congestion. Fresh air, open space, natural bush around Manly Dam, five minutes to the beach. The only downside was that everyone knew everyone, and that meant gossip was rife. Between the volunteers in the school canteen, on the sidelines of the kids' sports games, during the mother's morning teas and picnics in the park. Alison had considered taking leave without pay this term, but she needed the money. Perhaps she should have asked for a transfer to another part of Sydney, but she didn't have the energy to learn new systems and build new friendships. Lack of sleep was making her brain fuzzy. I feel like such a middle-aged cliché, Alison moaned to Shona. I'm a laughing stock. No, he's the cliché, Shona said. It's not your fault, Hen. Soon they'll all know I'm not enough. Not interesting enough, not smart enough, not funny enough, not clever enough, not pretty enough. Not enough to keep a husband of 24 years. And evidently, not enough for her 15-year-old son either. Shona was reading the girls a book about a female astronaut when Alison's phone buzzed. A text from Tony. Summer soccer back on tomorrow. Will you be there? Dinner after at the Italian? Usually Alison was the one telling him about their son's arrangements. She considered how to answer the message. A sarcastic response about his sudden involvement. A bitchy question about the new woman whom he wouldn't name. No, she'd wait until after school to reply. And then another text, this time from Felix. Can you bring my kit and boots? Alison sent a quick thumbs up, safer to let the emoji say it all. You can be whatever you want to be. Shona finished the last page and closed the book. You can fly to the moon like this amazing astronaut. Alison gave a tight smile. Forget the sky-high ambitions. All Gracie wants to be is healthy. All I want is my husband and son back. My mum was an astronaut, Gracie said. Oh, wow. Evelyn's eyes widened. Have you seen a rocket? Should Alison pull Gracie up on the fig, fib? or just take the girls back to the classroom. When she'd asked Luke about Gracie's mother, he'd closed his eyes and put his head in his hands for a moment. The counsellor said to reinforce how much her mother loved her, to keep reassuring her, he'd sighed, and we don't discuss the tumour in front of her. That's been our rule since Gracie was diagnosed. She knows she's sick, but we don't want her to worry about the future. We, our, as if, as if his wife were still alive. Thankfully, Luke hadn't had to explain about the horrifying death. Samantha in the front office had passed on the news. A bushfire had destroyed the Brancers' fam- 
farm and their lives. Kids can be very blunt, Alison had said. Some will ask about Gracie and her mum and cancer and dying. Yeah, I know, he'd sighed again. At least her eyelashes and eyebrows have grown back. Last year, a boy at the playground called her an alien. The next round of chemo's weekly. She shouldn't be so sick this time. Life was cruelly unfair. Four-year-old Gracie should not be going through all this misery, and nor should 49-year-old Alison. While Shona had been reading aloud, Alison opened the note from the hospital again. It sparked a list in her head. Don't compromise Gracie's immunity. Don't let her get breathless. Don't let her get injured. Don't let her get upset about her mother. Alison yawned, wishing she had time for a coffee before the afternoon class. She'd have to be on high alert all day, every day, for the new girl. Each time Alison walked through the front door, she expected to see her son's black sneakers kicked off in the hallway, his school bag dumped on the couch, a dirty cereal bowl on the kitchen bench top. Instead, it was as tidy as when she'd last vacuumed. And silent. Without the ordinary background noise she used to take for granted, Felix drumming a new song on his guitar, the shouts of teenagers in the pool splashing and somersaulting, in the evenings, Tony cheering at a soccer match on television. Pouring herself a large gin and tonic, Alison tipped out the last few drops from the duty-free bottle Tony had bought on his way back from the funeral in England. Should she drive down now and check on him? He'd refused to give her his new address. It's a legal matter, he'd explained haughtily. Nothing to do with you and me. Refused to tell her anything. And so, the second time she dropped Felix off near Tony's new place... Alison had driven around the corner and parked, sneaked back to see where Felix went. Now she watched the house whenever she could, desperate to catch a glimpse of the woman with no name. The whirlwind of his departure had left her gasping for breath, and he was so fucking civilised while she ranted and raved and bawled and blubbered. This was supposed to be her year, celebrating her 50th birthday in August with a trip to the Great Barrier Reef. Instead, she was sobbing on her best friend's shoulder, eating dinner alone. She'd never lived alone before. Standing in the kitchen, Alison looked past the back deck to the pool, still warm enough for a swim, but the water was murky green. Tony had been the one to check the levels and add chemicals. As she closed the kitchen blinds to banish the accusing colour, a dark shape moved at the end of the garden, too big to be a brush turkey jumping the fence. Alison locked the door and called Nadia. Stop worrying, her best friend's voice was a balm down the phone line. Probably just teenagers hanging out in the bush. The reassurance stayed with Alison until the pinky hues descended and the shadows lengthened. Even with neighbours on either side, she was conscious of the bushland behind the house. At dusk, the forest came alive, filling each room with its cacophony, kookaburras cackling, bats shrieking, frogs croaking in a deep bass line. Before, she'd loved the bush backdrop. Now, she dreaded switching off the downstairs lights every evening. In their queen-size bed, Alison avoided that cold, empty space where Tony had slept. Her mother had suggested audiobooks to help her fall asleep. Nadia offered sleeping pills. Shona said, drink more gin. Instead, Alison lay awake until one in the morning, trying to ignore the numbers glowing red on the clock radio. 
her thoughts on a constant loop. How did it come to this? At 3.16 she jolted awake to the sound of banging. The southerly had blown in and the house creaked with each gust. Could it be a branch whacking against a roof? None of the trees were that close. When she'd spoken to Nadia earlier, neither of them had mentioned the break-ins around Weriga. One at the school over the summer holidays, one at the beauty salon, and the most recent on Allison Street, half a block away. Where was Tony when she needed him, or even Felix? God damn it, Alison called herself a feminist, and now she wished, was wishing for the safety that came with a man. Scared of the dark in her own house, she'd fallen into another cliché. Reach out and switch on the light, she told herself as the thudding continued. Now that she was properly awake, Alison realised the noise was coming from above. A possum on the roof or inside the ceiling? Whatever it was, she wouldn't be sleeping for the rest of the night. She hadn't told Nadia her real fear. I think someone is spying on me. Stop being paranoid, her friend would say. But Alison was projecting her own guilty conscience, conscience, her obsession with watching Tony's new house. Who else was living in that house? Did the new woman know or care that she had destroyed Alison's happy family? There we go, The Good Teacher by Petronella McGovern. And here is a quick word from Petronella on what she learnt at the Australian Writers' Centre. We recorded this next clip back when her first novel was released. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Have a listen to Petronella McGovern. My name's Petronella McGovern. I've done four courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. I'm excited to say I'm a published author of a book called Six Minutes, which is a psychological thriller set in Canberra. Before I started the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I was working from home as a writer in marketing communications. When you've got the kids and work and everyday life, then writing often gets pushed to the background. I wanted to do a course that helped me prioritise my writing and put it first. I signed up to the Write Your Novel six-month program to kickstart my novel. I had written a few chapters, but I really was not finding the time with work and kids. So the six-month Write Your Novel was, as it implies, six months, and a weekly class. We had deadlines for chapters. We had deadlines to workshop and give feedback. And it really helped give you the support to write a really long piece of work. So when you sit down to look at writing a novel of 100,000 words, it's a large task. And the classes really supported me all the way through that process. The tutor talked about how to structure a novel. And then we could look at that in terms of our own novel and see how it would go. It was useful for me to think about where certain things should happen in the novel and how to keep the action going and when to set a climax and when to end the novel. The tutors at the Australian Writers' Centre are so helpful and practical. 
They're all practicing authors and they share their experience and their wisdom very generously with their students. Through the Australian Writers' Centre, I've made lifelong friends who are fellow writers and we're supporting each other through our writing journeys. What I really like about the Australian Writers' Centre is that they have a range of courses and so there are great options for whatever stage you're in. If it wasn't for the Australian Writers' Centre, it would have taken me a lot longer to finish my first draft of six minutes and a lot longer, I think, to get it published. I really enjoyed the feedback and the support that I got through the Australian Writers' Centre, through the tutors and the other people in our class. I would say get started on a course as soon as you can. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novel writing. I absolutely love seeing where Petronella has come from and where she is now, a successful and established author whose books dominate the shelves of bookstores everywhere I go. The Good Teacher is a compelling read. It's out now and available at all good bookshops. Thanks for listening to our story sessions of So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. Connect with us on social media at Writer Centre AU on Twitter and Instagram and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.